Hebrews chapter 12, uh, again, just three verses for you um, this morning, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The therefore in verse 1 lets us know that what our author is about to say has a whole lot to do with what he has already said in, in the previous chapter, in chapter 11. And you'll remember, uh, there are really kind of almost, almost two messages there. And the, so, so the therefore then, uh, firstly, ties to the 39-verse history lesson that our author gave us about the great men and women of faith. Remember, for, for uh, 10 chapters, he had been instructionally teaching this church, and then all of a sudden, chapter 11 begins, and he spends 39 verses giving him a history lesson, and so, so the therefore must be tied to that. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this must be the, the men and the women that the author is speaking of, right? But, but then there was also verse 40, which we got our lesson from last week, that Jesus is, is better for us. So therefore cannot just be about the men and the women, but it also must be about the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so understanding that, that therefore begins to guide our conversation. Understanding that Jesus is better and, and therefore we need to do some things. In fact, verse 2 kind of lets us in on it. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, now look at verse 1 with me and we're going to do something crazy because th- this is all tied together. Ready? Let's read it this way. Verse 1, therefore, now down to verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. I don't know a lot about the Bible. I'm, I'm still a student. I'm learning. But as I read, uh, typically, if there are some things that, that as I'm reading, there are words that seem to be important, I like to underline those words and go figure out what those mean. And so if it says, therefore, I'm supposed to fix my eyes on Jesus, and then it gives me some identifiers of who Jesus is. It says, therefore, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. I want to underline or circle those words, author and perfecter. And so so if you do that when you're studying this passage, you come up with some things like this, like the word author in Greek means chief leader, pioneer, or author. Specifically, it means one that takes the lead in anything and thus affords an example. He's our leader. He's our chief leader. And and therefore, uh, you know, we we follow his example. That word perfecter means finisher. Perfecter. Get this, literally in the Greek, one who is in his own person raised faith to its perfection, and so set before us the highest example of faith. He's the perfecter of, of our faith. And, and so those, those, two words, uh, those two words are our identifiers here of Jesus um, are indeed our lesson today, that Jesus is, is just a better example. 
Jesus is a better example. And so this morning, I've got five things to share with you. I'm going to try to be as brief as possible with five things. And so uh, forgive me in advance, but I, I, I pray we'll get through it. Uh, the first thing I want you to see, guys, is that Jesus is a better example in setting priorities. Jesus is a better example in setting priorities. Just look at verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Let us throw off everything that hinders. Now, this is a reference, of course, to the great men and the women of faith that, that we've just talked about, 39 verses worth, that, that we were willing to follow God in faith and to do the, the difficult things. They're all re- remembered for doing the, the difficult things. They, they made great sacrifices in order to follow God, and this is a call for us in light of who they were, in light of their faithfulness to live those kind of lives and to do the difficult things. But remember, the point, of course, is that Jesus is better for us. That was verse 40 of Hebrews 11. So we also have to look to him and to his example. And so verse 2 says that. It says, let us set our eyes on him. That we need to look to Jesus when it comes specifically to setting our priorities. We need to look to Jesus and, and be willing to throw off. I, I just want to, I want the language to be right. To throw off everything that hinders. That, that, that phrase, it means to lay aside or literally to separate ourselves from, to get rid of things that would hinder us in what? In the race that God has marked out for us. And so the truth is for everyone sitting in, in a pew, for everyone that can hear the sound of my voice this morning, uh, that will listen to it later this week on the internet, that God has indeed marked out a race for you. And, and, and that there are things in life that will hinder you from being everything that God intends you to be. And, and those things are not always sin. See, sin comes later. So, so there are things in life that can hinder you from being everything that God and, intends you to be. And I want you to just notice that the, this, this, this phrasing here, let us throw off everything that hinders, it's not about sin. It's, it's about life. It's about time management. It's about priorities. This is about the things that we treasure. And so Jesus is a better example. So we have to ask ourselves then, well, what did Jesus treasure? Right? And Scripture paints a really clear picture. First and foremost, it says that Jesus treasured his Father, God. Jesus, I mean, he, he treasured him. Jesus adored his Father. Jesus lived for his Father's glory. He, he loved his Father with everything he possessed. Listen to John 14, 31. It says, uh, but, but he comes, this is talking, he was talking about the enemy, uh, the, the prince of the world. He says, but he comes so that the world may learn... He's going to test me and try me, but the world may learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. This is, this is the, I, I'm going to, like, Jesus is about to face the cross. He says, listen, this is coming so that the world might know that I love my dad with everything that I have and that I do exactly what he commands. He's talking about about how how he lived to to please him in John 8, John 8, 29. He says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Get this, for I always do what pleases him. What did Jesus treasure? First and foremost, he treasured his father and he lived for his father's glory. Secondly, as we study scripture, we find out that Jesus treasured people. 
Jesus treasured sinful people. If, if, if you can imagine that, if, if you can fathom that, 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 that Jesus um, is, is entering into a city where people will soon shout, crucify him, crucify him. And he stops and he weeps over the sinful people there. And, and, and he weeps over the death of Lazarus. And he has compassion on the crowds. And he hangs out with the outcasts. He, he, he invited people to himself constantly that were dirty. He invited people to him constantly that, that were known. I mean, they were infamous sinners. And Jesus would invite these people to himself. And he, he would meet them just as they were. Just come to me. But somewhere in that encounter, he would always call them up. He, he would love them. He would, he would invite them to himself. But something would transpire I believe it's called grace. <laughs> and, and, and in that moment of grace where they felt the very love and the very touch of God, then Jesus would call them up and send them out with words like, now go and sin no more. He, he always loved people enough to meet them where they were, but he loved them too much to leave them there. And, and, and this is what Jesus treasured. He treasured God. He, he treasured people. Luke 19.10. He says, I came to seek and save those that are lost. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves as we look at our, our lives is this. Ready? Based on your life, based on your life like currently, if you closed your eyes and you just considered who am I, what do I do, what does my life look like, based on your current life, based on my current life, the question that God put on my heart is just this, son, do, do you treasure me and do you treasure people? Because if your priorities are anything other than that, then your priorities are out of whack. Then, then, then you're not in the center of my will. If this is not your heart, if, you, if my heart's not your heart, then your priorities are off. And, and I'm telling you, your race is being hindered, whether you know it or not. So this morning I ask, are you running the race marked out for you? Are you floundering? Because your life has become about many things other than God and people. Jesus is our example and priorities. He, he lived and worshipped and prayed and loved better. So he's all right. Number two, Jesus is a better example in holiness. Said that we get there. Here we go. Verse one, let us throw off everything that hinders. Get this and, and, and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So we've got to have better priorities because Jesus did. We've got to have better priorities. We've got to be willing to run this race. We've got to be willing to, to, to throw off the things that are hindering us. But the Bible also says more than that, we, we also have to be willing to cut out the sin that is entangling us. See, see we, we, we still have to address our sin problem. And Christians, I, I love you, but listen to me. You still have a sin problem, Right? So, so, so we, we've been studying Scripture. We know that, that Christ died once and for all, and that we were declared at that moment that we received Jesus. We were declared perfect forever, right? 
But then it says, those that are being made holy. So we're, we're, we've been declared righteous, we've been declared perfect in the sight of God. This is why when we die, we're going to pass from death to life to be with Jesus. Like, like That's how that happens, okay? But we are still being made holy, and so we still live, even though we're new creations, we live in this old earth suit, and, and there are these two natures, and they're battling against one another, and so we live in this fallen world that is full of sin, and the problem is our lives still have sin in them, and that is indeed a problem. And if we don't admit that that's a problem, then we're not getting the full scope of the Bible. Because God calls us out of this thing called, called, called sin. Sin is still present in our lives. And so according to our author, the great problem of it is not just that it causes separation between us and God, because even as Christians, sin still breaks our fellowship. It breaks our fellowship. We feel distance between us and God, which should never happen with a child. A child should always have full access, but sin, sin breaks that fellowship. But, but even more, sin, the Bible says, uh, entangles us. The word in Greek means it skillfully surrounds. If you could think of, of, of a race and you could think of a runner um, beginning to try to run a race and you could almost imagine some kind of vine growing up out of nowhere and entangling their feet. You can imagine what that must be like to try to run through something that's constantly grabbing at you every turn. And the Bible says that's, that's a picture of skin. It's, uh, sin. It, it skillfully surrounds. And so Jesus, of course, is, is, is better. He's our example for living. He's our aim. I mean, we've taken on his name sake for crying out loud as Christians. And friends, he was without sin. He was. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.22 says, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And so God's will for us is that we would follow Christ's example and that we would walk in his ways who was without sin. And you say, well, how, how do I do that? That's, that's a problem. Well, Galatians 5 talks about how we do that, right? Good, good, not, not yet. Galatians 5 uh, begins to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And it says that if we walk in the Spirit of Jesus, that, that we will oppose the things of the flesh, right? And then it goes on and says, here's the fruit of the Spirit. It's love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And then it says this in Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So it says, here's the fruit. If you walk in the Spirit of God, you're not going to gratify the things of the flesh. And then it says this. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the, the flesh with its passions and desires. And so here's the picture. Ready? Our example, Jesus, went to the cross. Went to the cross and was crucified. But he wasn't crucified with his own sin or for his own sin. He was crucified... With whose sin upon him? Ours. He willingly took our sin upon himself and died in our place. He's our example. And, and here's the thing. We're still supposed to follow that example. And so the Bible, its encouragement, O oh Christian, is that you would still today, not just one day in the past, but even now, that you would take your sin to the cross and that you would nail it there and that you would crucify your sin because Jesus, that's what he did on your behalf. He took your sin and, and your sin was crucified, right? He, he, he took our sin payment upon himself, was crucified in our place. And so 
So the Bible would then encourage us to do the same. Paul says it this way in Colossians 3, 5. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Listen, I love you. I want to tell you the answer to your sin problem. It's not a self-help book. It's not an accountability partner. It's, it's, it's not even a, a counselor or a sin management plan. All those things have their place. God can use those things in powerful ways. But hear me. The answer to your sin problem is the cross. The answer to your sin problem is, is crucifixion. And the call, Christians, is not to play with sin now that we've been saved. It's not to try to manage sin now that we've been saved. The call is that when the Holy Spirit points out sin in our lives, that we would run to the cross and nail it there. Because it's that dangerous. And it will, before you know it, skillfully surround you and it will keep you from running the race that God has marked out for you. I know far too many Christians, myself has been one of them, that thought, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And you name your sin, whatever it is. Well, I mean, come on, I don't really have a problem with judging others. Right? I mean, that's not that big of a deal. It was, I, 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 I gossiped one time. It was, it, was just, it, was, it was just the moment the person wasn't there. It was such a good story. I just, I, just, I just shared it that one time. And you began feeling your feet suddenly getting heavier. Harder to step, harder to pursue, harder to run. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Okay? Number three. Jesus is a better example in endurance. Verse 2, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, now some of you, even as you hear me, me speaking this morning, you, you are, you're here and you're going through the ringer of life, right? I mean, we just, we confess that, we could do that, we could throw up hands, whatever. You, you're feeling the pressures of life and, and things have happened to you in, in the last maybe several weeks, maybe several months, maybe the last several years, and you just feel like life is, is this box and these walls, they just keep moving inward and pressing and it's getting difficult. Now you're almost having problems breathing when you're beginning to think about it. And you're just wondering, God, is this ever going to change? Like, is it ever going to stop? Is, is this ever, is, is this just going to be the new reality of how life is? And, and, and you're beginning to even think that maybe this isn't fair or that, that something is, is wrong. You're wondering if you're going to survive it. I don't mean to hurt your feelings this morning, but what you're experiencing, friends, ready? It's, it's called uh, life. When you experience suffering and difficulty, you are experiencing life in a fallen world. That's what you're experiencing. You are not alone, though the enemy would tell you that you are. 
You are not alone, for you could look around this morning and each of us in some way is facing some type of difficulty because we all live in the same broken, fallen world. And maybe it's a friend or maybe it's a family member or maybe it's your finances, but the world is pressing in against you and that's called life. And I hate to tell you, but it's not fair. And the readers of this book, the readers of this letter, as they receive these these words, um, were probably thinking the, the same thing that you and I are thinking this morning. God, we're trying to live for you. God, here I am, and I, I am trying to live for your glory. And, and, and it just seems like it's getting worse. How is that possible? How is it possible that I'm pursuing you, Jesus, and life is actually getting worse? And you see that they had bought into a lie that I think we all have the tendency to buy into. And that lie is that somehow if we follow Jesus, it's going to be easy. Right? That, that, that the road to the promised land is never filled with giants or difficulties. That, they, they bought in to, to the fact that it's supposed to be comfortable somehow on this journey to the place that God promises. But if you go back and read your Old Testament, if you study your New Testament, you find there were always going to be giants in the promised land. You find out that there are always going to be waves in life that feel like they are absolutely going to sink your boat. That's, that's the truth of, of life, but your job as a Christian is to remember who's on board. That, that was God's reminder. He says, here's the land I promise you. He never said that land wouldn't be difficult to conquer. He never said that that land wouldn't have scary things in it. He said that land is, is, is abundant with fruit. That's what he says, right? He tells the disciples, I want you to get in the boat and I want you to cross the lake. He never says there won't be a storm. He never says that the wind and the waves will not buffet them. He, he promises, and I'll be, I'll be with you to the end of the age. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so our job is to remember who is on board, that, that we serve the living God, not the dead God. We serve a living God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and our God still has the power to slay giants and to calm the raging seas. And so we endure when life presses in. And we remember that God has not forsaken us, but yet He is restoring all things. And until He returns We hang on in Jesus' name with confidence that there is nothing that this world can throw our way that we cannot be conquerors of. We will conquer, remember, one way or another. One way or another. Jesus is a better example in endurance. Number four, I want you to see that Jesus is a better example in faith and obedience. Jesus is a better example in faith and obedience. This is really what these two words uh, that we highlighted in verse 2 are all about. Author and perfecter. Author is the pioneer, the leader, the one that sets an example. What's he set an example in? Faith, right? He sets an example in faith. And last week we defined what faith is. Faith is, is specifically uh, 
Here we go. Faith is believing in God and taking him at his word, and it's directing our lives accordingly, right? And, and get this, Jesus, according to this text, is the perfecter of that. Jesus is the perfecter of that. He has, in his own body, he has raised that to its perfect level. Jesus has perfectly in, in, in himself believed in God, taken him at his word, and directed his life accordingly. So Jesus sets that example for us perfectly. Literally, God says it, he does it. And friends, I'm here to tell you, that's, that's, that's what's missing for us, is that perfect faith, that complete trust that when God tells you to do something, you, you do it. What do we do? When God tells us to do something. Wait a second, Lord. Is that the only passage you've got there for me? There's got to be. Maybe we should do a different study there. I mean, wait, wait, wait. No, you, that word used to mean such and such, but surely it doesn't mean that today. There's got to be some type of contextual difference, right? God says, no, I told you to go. You say, but, but wait, when you say go, Lord, when you say go, like, did you mean... Like, really go? You, you said, but what you meant, Lord, is you meant go to the place that I, I, I'm going to show you to go, right? That I'm going to tell you, like, you're going to make it clear first. And God's like, ah, did I make it clear with Abraham? I'm pretty sure I just told him to go. But Lord, I'll, I'll make disciples. I, I will do it. I will make disciples as soon as you come down from heaven in a bolt of lightning in a, in a, in a burning bush and say, Chris, I want you to go unto Uganda. And when you do that, then I will go. And God says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I said to Abraham, Go. And I didn't tell him where he was going. I only promised that I would be with him and that I would lead him. And God says to us, go. And you say, but where am I going to go, Lord? And God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I will lead you and I will be with you. But get your junk together and go. Start packing tonight and go. Stop camping out and go. Jesus is our perfect example in faith and obedience. I love that one scripture talks about uh, Passion Week is coming. And Jesus is preparing. It's only in the King James that says uh, this particular phase. But it says that Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. <laughs> when the time came, he resolutely set his face Towards Jerusalem. He is our example in faith and obedience. We've got to follow that example, okay? Number five. I want you to see that he's a better example in the face of opposition. Verse three. Uh, it's a great verse. This is encouragement unto me. It says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Get this, Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him your example who faced opposition before you. And you should consider him so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. Why? Because God knows we grow weary, don't we? 
He knows that we grow weary. And that, now listen, I, I don't know about you, but I'm going to tell you, I, I often have trouble in this world, right? Especially when I'm, I'm listening to the Lord and, and doing what he tells me to do and saying what he says me to, yeah, tells me to say. And there are times that I'm, I'm not doing that real well. But, but when, I'm, when I'm really following the Lord, boy, does it seem like there's opposition, right? I mean, we, there are just people that will spring up and they oppose you or they don't like you, which is really difficult for those of you that are otters, you know, and the personality type, the lion otter, beaver, golden retriever. If you're an otter, you long for people to like you, and then you say things, and they're like, I hate you. And you're like, well, that really hurts. I'm going to go home and cry now, right? And I mean, you don't tell anybody that. That's just in the inner heart. You want everybody to love you. And so when you face opposition, it's difficult. And now listen, some of you here, you, you understand because you are facing opposition in some place in your life. Maybe it's at work, maybe it's at home, maybe it's in the church. And, and when you face opposition, here's what happens usually. Usually, it begins to wear on us. See, see we, we, we just get tired. We feel like we're just getting beat up. And it begins to wear on us. And we get to the point that, that, that the opposition, we, we start to lose heart. And, and here's what happens, ready? We actually uh, get to a point, we become so weary, we lose our passion for the thing that, that made people oppose us in the first place. And so therefore, we stop running the race with perseverance. You follow me? When opposition comes, when it gets difficult, when, when it's not all daisies, suddenly um, um, we're getting beat against and we begin to feel it and we shrink back and we grow weary and we actually lose our passion for the thing that we were once so passionate about that people opposed us, namely Jesus. And I'd go back to, I think it's Hebrews 10, when he says, and we are not those who shrink back. (laughs) Right? We are not of those who shrink back. Jesus is a better example for us. So what do we do? I want to wrap it up for you. I know that's a lot to throw at you, but it's just just good stuff in those three verses. Um, The first thing I believe God would call us to do because of his word It's reprioritize. It's reprioritize. Why? Because God has, has, has appointed a race for us to run. Um, but in order for us to run it effectively, we, we literally have to throw off everything that hinders. If I were to ask people, hey, when you read Hebrews 11 and you read of the examples of faith, remember it's not one superhero, it's just people that did one thing. They were known for the one thing they did in their life, sometimes two, two great acts of faith. I ask people, would you like to be remembered for a great act of faith? Most people are going to say, yes, yes, I pray that my children would remember me for some great act of faith, whatever that was. That there was some point in my life in following Jesus that I was such an example unto them that they told their children about it, right? I, I, w- I would like for them to, re- not for my namesake, but for Christ's namesake, for the kingdom, for his glory. I would love to be somebody that was known for a great act of faith. I, I really would, right? But guess what? Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen if you're not willing to, to have the same heart that God has. If you're not willing to love God and you're not willing to love people, then your name's probably not going to be remembered with some great act of faith because faith requires that you love God with everything that you are and you trust Him and that you love people even though you see all of their scars. 
That's the heart of God, right? This is, this is what Christ treasured. And, and the Bible says you got to throw off all the other stuff that's hindering you and just focus on these things. Do you know if our lives were radically focused around those two concepts, do you know how different our world would be? Can you just imagine if we didn't care what we drove or what we wore or where we lived? And we, we, if we didn't care what people um, thought about us, if we, if, we, if we literally stopped caring about what was on Yahoo News or, or, or on Facebook, or if we literally just made it our goal every single day to wake up and to give God everything that we had and every person that we saw we viewed as someone that was made in His image and we just tried to love them in Jesus' name, do you know how different our world would be? I think it looked like a glimpse of heaven. Pretty sure. That's what we're called to do. And, and, and here, it, it, it's not going to be easy. In the midst of it, people are going to oppose you. They're going to slander you. They're going to call you names. They might put you in prison. I mean, it's coming. I mean, just keep it up. Keep, keep telling people there's a God and he set rules and he said things have to be a certain way. Just keep it up. They'll throw you in jail. It's coming. We prioritize. And if we don't, if we don't, read Romans. Read Romans chapter 1. What happens to people that lose their priorities and lose their way? They actually become enemies and haters of God and objects of his wrath. Just challenge you, just reprioritize, okay? Second, um, I think just, just because of our text, I would encourage you to kill the sin in your life. Uh, we've, we've said this before. Uh, uh, this is premeditated murder, right? This is the only time you get off. This is it, okay? This is the only time you can, you can legitimately think about uh, how you would do it, how you'd get away with it, and all those kind of, this is it right now, all right? You need to think about your sin. You need to think about the things that don't honor God in your life, and you need to figure out how to kill them. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to involve some, some really gruesome tactics, and it's going to involve the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what it's going to take. And, and, and the Bible's very clear. We have to put to death the misdeeds of our flesh. It doesn't say that, that we're to manage them. It doesn't say that we're, we're, we're to just kind of, well, oh, it's not too bad. It's just got a, it's got a little hold on me, but it's not a big hold. No, friends, it's keeping you from running the race that God has marked out for you. Kill it. Kill it. Right? Because most of you here, especially in the early service, you've been in Jesus for several years. You're not supposed to be crawling anymore. It's the truth. It's the truth, man. At, the, at this point... I've been in Jesus long enough to know better that, than, to, than to act like I still need a walker at this point. So kill it. Kill the sin in your life. Just take it to the cross. Crucify it. Admit that it's sin. Call it wrong. Call it out. Call it by name and kill it. And hear me. Ready? It's kind of like a nasty weed in your yard. Um, crabgrass. It might be a daily activity for a little while. Legitimately, Jesus said we're, we're to take up our cross daily and follow him. Daily, we are to die to ourselves daily. And so I, I don't know what the sin problem is. Like maybe it's two or three things that are really killing your walk with Christ. Daily, get up and murder them. Daily. Daily, get up and admit them to God. Be brokenhearted before God and kill them daily. You may, you may find throughout the day you have to kill them several times. So come prepared, fully dressed in the armor of God, with, with, with the word of God, the sword of the spirit, and slay them on a regular basis all day long if that's what you have to do. But kill them every time they pop their head up. Kill them. And then you can run. And then you can run. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Number three. 
just hang in there, <laughs> right? As you're doing these things and as life gets difficult and as the walls are pressing in and as you're starting to wonder if, if God has forgotten about you, remember that God does not forget anything other than your sins, which he chooses to do. God can't really actually possibly forget, but he chooses to say, I will no longer remember your sins. God has not forgotten your situation. He not one time did he ever forget his people in the Bible. He was always knowledgeable of exactly where they were and exactly what they were going through. And he knows how tough this world is. And his promise, guys, here's his promise, is not that there won't be giants and not that there won't be waves. His promise is that he will be with you always. His promise is that you can conquer the giants and that the waves will not sink the ship. That's his promise. And so maybe you just pray, Lord, help me to remember you're on the boat. Lord, would you help me to remember that the truth is you are the captain of this army and that the victory is yours. Hang in there. Hang in there. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourself fully to your work in the Lord because you know that your labor in him is not in vain. I've held on to that verse for a long time. I ran across a quote from Teddy Roosevelt. I used to have quotes on my desk all the time. And, and it was Teddy Roosevelt. And it said, when you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. It just reminded me of that verse. And so on Teddy Roosevelt's quote, I wrote real big, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. <laughs> just hang in there. Lastly, I would just encourage you with everything I have, follow your leader. It's the best example you got. It's the best example there ever has been and ever will be. Just follow him. Man, we've turned this thing, Christianity, upside down into a million different things, haven't we? I mean, there's, there's, I, I, can't, I, I can't even begin to tell you how many books there are and how you should run a church. There's, I, I mean, it's stupid. It really is. In fact, if you, if you put them all into play at the same time, there'd be a church world war. I don't know. It's like, it's impossible. You can't, there's no way to do it, right? You, if you took every person's idea on discipleship and you tried to implement it all at the same time, we'd be a bunch of schizophrenic people running around doing a million different, never, like, like, can I simplify it all for you? Ready? Jesus, follow him. Amen. Just follow him. He is the answer, right? He, he is, is the vine, right? He is the way. He is the truth. He is the, the good shepherd. I mean, I mean this, this is who he is. Just follow him. Abide in him. Follow his example. He set it for us, and it's a better example. God's will for you is not that you would continue to sit idly by and watch other people run past you. God's will for you is that you would be running the race that he has marked out for you with perseverance. And to do that, it requires something of you. To follow Jesus and to follow hard after him, you're going to have to cut some things out. You're going to have to kill some things, right? It's just going to absolutely have to happen. And you're going to have to abide in him. But as you do, you're going to find that life is good in the midst of difficulty. Would you guys pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. We love you. We pray that uh, you would allow us to take your word and apply it deep into our hearts, deep into our minds, and ultimately into our hands and our feet, because that's what it needs. Father, I ask uh, that you just move in our, our presence just in, in the next couple of minutes. You do what only you can.
It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. I'm just going to ask you.